Hey creatives, you're listening to The Truth is Golden, a podcast produced by Revelator Studio and hosted by yours truly. My name is Arno, welcome to this episode. It is a show about creative minds, what makes them tick, their successes, failures, and everything in between. It is for people who are interested to learn more about creativity and its potential to make the world a better place. In this episode, I talked to Stefan Hunt, a filmmaker and artist from Byron Bay, Australia. During our conversation, we spoke about his self-described cringeworthy beginnings and how that first film he made at the tender age of 18 put him on the map and launched his career as a storyteller. We also chatted about the doubts that all creatives go through and how coming to realize that we're all going to die can push us to shoot for the stars. So, Stefan, thank you for being on the show. It's a great honor to have you. I want to jump in uh, right into the thick of it. And um, can you tell us a little bit what you were like as a kid? Uh, when I was really young, like I'm talking like three, four years old, I was super introverted. I, I didn't have a lot of confidence and I would you know, stay pretty close to my parents or the people that I felt um, close to. And then my parents put me through some kind of, I guess, like school where uh, at you know, three or four years old to help build my confidence. And that completely changed me. And then all of a sudden, I, I guess I just kind of went for it. And, and I, um, I found my voice and I, I don't feel like I've changed since then. Like I, I feel like I've had a real sense of self since I was like five years old, which is crazy. I grew up in the country in Australia and it's a very honest kind of no bullshit um, environment, but it's there's a great community, and I think that with that comes the ability to talk to people of all ages and and just connect with people. And there aren't these ulterior motives that you might find in the city. It's just life is simple, and and growing up in that environment and having a great set of friends and family around me, I I just kind of found my voice and had an amazing childhood and then moved eventually moved to the coast and, and found surfing and that kind of life. And, uh, and that's where I live now. So, so you've touched a little bit on what kind of family you grew up in. Can you tell us a little more about that and how, if at all that influenced you? Yeah, my family has had the biggest influence on me by far. And I think I'm just straight up a, a 50, 50 split of my mum and dad in terms of, different traits and, and values of theirs. Uh, I can see it in me and my girlfriend all the time. She tells me how much I'm just a, a direct product of both of my parents, which is a huge compliment to me because I, I really look up to both of them and admire um, what they stand for. So my dad is really creative and he's always, he's always just kind of taken his own path in life and he's traveled a lot and he's gone against the grain and he's taken risks and um, really creative and hands-on. And so I think I got my, I guess, artistic, um, you know, skills or whatever talents from my dad. And he's always just supported me and he's never kind of told me that I shouldn't do something. He's asked me, why am I doing it? And if it feels like there's a, a, a value there that resonates with him, he then goes into, okay, well, how are we going to do this? There's this really supportive tone of how can he help me bring these ideas and dreams to life? And um, like, I feel extremely blessed and privileged to have that kind of 
support from my dad from a very young age. He's just always, always wanted to support these crazy ideas that I have, even if I don't know exactly what they look like. He, um, he kind of wants in on that. So yeah, I've grown up with a really supportive family and, and I can definitely acknowledge that and, and see that and feel very privileged that I've, I've had that upbringing. So if you got the uh, creative side and uh, kind of DIY ethic from uh, from your dad, what did you get from your mom? Uh, I, I think I got probably my, my heart and my uh, compassion from my mom. She's a very, she's like a delicate flower and, and has just the kindest and most patient heart you've ever met. She just taught me a lot of values about unconditional love and, and just seeing the good in people and, and just having patience. And she's just this really soft natured soul. And, um, I think that, you know, I, I, I see a lot of those values of, of, you know, rubbed off on me. And, and I guess that's, you know, where a lot of my art comes from is wanting to just connect with people and, and, if I see something isn't fair, I, I want to do something about it. And the only way I know how to do that is, is through my art, I guess. Do you remember what you wanted to be growing up? Yeah, I, I, I do. So my very first job, I wanted to be a garbage man. I wanted to uh, cruise around the streets and collect garbage uh, or rubbish. Um, and that was purely based on a song that was on a, a kid's TV show here in Australia it was a TV show called Play School, and there was a song called I Am the Garbage Man, I Empty All the Garbage Cans, and it was so catchy, and I sang it every day. Um, but, I mean, that that job obviously was uh, – or that dream was short-lived <laughs> once I realized that that job kind of stinks. <laughs> I guess from – I reckon from when I was eight years old, I remember my dad asking me, what do you want to do when you're older? And I said I wanted to be a children's entertainer because – I never wanted to let go of my my childhood. I never wanted to grow up because I saw a lot of adults and they just seemed to be living such boring lives and they were convinced that they had to live like that because they were now an adult and that scared me. And I never wanted to, to let go of that childlike wonder that we all have as kids. And so I said, oh, I want to be, I want to entertain kids so I can hang out with kids because they see the world in such a cool way. Um, and that was at eight years old I said that. And I didn't go on to do that, but I think that I went on to do filmmaking, which is still creative, and a lot of my films are working with kids and telling stories through the eyes of a child. And I think that's a really, a really powerful approach to reminding adults that they don't have it all figured out. And sometimes it takes the, the simple lens of a child to remind us what's really important. Yeah, that sounds great. So I have a theory that traditional schooling, the way I'm assuming you and I experienced it, has actually a, a really efficient way of beating uh, imagination and creativity out of kids. And you don't seem to have lost that. So how did you survive that 10 or 12 year ordeal and keep that uh, alive? That's a great question. I, I guess I kept it alive because I loved it and it was my pastime and it was, it was my hobby. I always wanted to be creating something or I always wanted to be looking at things differently. And, um, if you look back at 
my school books or my school reports, like my school books are just full of drawings and doodles and ideas. And my reports are constantly, um, you know, like I would get super high marks in art and then the other subjects, every teacher would just say, Stefan distracts others and is easily distracted. And I just was like, I guess always wanted to have a good time and, and I didn't want to let school get in the way of that. And so I, I I guess looking at that report even, like I was so easily distracted in every class but art. And when I was in art class, I could just lock into that and hours could pass and I wouldn't even realize. And I think that because I had an artistic father, um, that wasn't beaten out of me. I think that I was lucky enough to go to a school that did support the arts, even though it was a public school. Um, it did kind of champion, you know, young artists and I think if I had parents that didn't see the value in that, it would have been really hard. Um, and so, I th- again, I think that comes back to parenting and their support. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I had a very similar experience. Uh, my school reports were pretty nasty as well, but <laughs> I managed to keep some of that alive. Um, so from what I could, the intelligence I could gather doing my research, um, I seem to ha- have... Uh, found that there were a few pivotal moments in your life, and from what I understand, mostly serendipitous, um, that kind of changed or directed your life in one way or another in some pretty significant fashion. Would you say that's a function of your per- personality or strictly chance? Um, in terms of the the pivotal moments... Are they like, yeah, can you just, sorry, clarify that one again? In terms of you just finding yourself in a spot by chance or it was more a function of the way you were showing up in the world, I guess, and, uh, and just meeting the right people and being able to make those connections as a function of your personality. I think I've always had a really strong moral compass and I think that that has led me through I guess every chapter of my life, the the good and the bad and any chapters where I feel like I can look back at and probably I wasn't making the right decisions. It was because I actually wasn't listening to my instincts because I've got a very clear kind of set of values with which I live. The people that I choose to interact with and have around me, um, you know, they align with me on those values. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd say it was, it's, chance as much as it is like a very conscious kind of approach to how I live life that's ingrained within me. Um, and then how those, you know, some of these like, I guess, pivotal moments, whether they've been, you know, good, bad or otherwise, the times where I've reacted to them with a, a real honest sense of, of self and, and values, they've always panned out to, to be, you know, the best experiences in my life. Can you uh, speak to those values a little more and tell us what they are? If, if that's, if you, if that's a, a thing you can express. It's funny because um, I think a lot of it's just instinct. It's just knowing, it's just no, having that feeling of intention and, and what someone's intention truly is with the way that they, interact with you and the world around them and 
being able to just kind of pick up on that energy. I mean, I just, I've grown up with this real sense of, because of my mum, like, and, and dad respect and sense of love for everyone. And this idea that everyone's had really tough experiences at some point in their life, no matter, no matter where you live, your world is relevant to your world and that's your context and you've had tough experiences. And so to approach everyone with, uh, you know, an immediate sense of judgment because of the way they look or the way they dress or the way they act, that's probably the easiest one to, if someone is a dick to you, like deep down, they don't want to be like that. It's just, they've had some shitty experiences that that have led them to acting that way. And I think that having that patience and that love and that understanding that everyone's had tough times, but if you just take a little bit more time to, to get to know why, like why someone is truly acting the way they act, um, it, it opens up such an amazing, uh, I guess, possibility for connection. And so because I believe in just things that to me, they, they seem like they should be common sense, like you know, equality and justice and these things that don't exist when you look at the world news. I think that a lot of the time it just comes back to, to people's kind of shitty experiences and the way that they're reacting to them. And, um, and sometimes I hope that maybe it's naive, but I really do hope that through acting and treating people with this unconditional love that could change maybe one person, you know? But would you say that if you change that one person, you've done your job? Yeah, I, I, I would. I would in the sense that I think that changing, like to truly change one life is, a, is an amazing accomplishment because that isn't just changing one life really. That, that person is then going to go forth and they're going to act and see the world differently and they might change one person. And you've, I think you need to believe in this idea of the, the snowball effect um, and, and Um, yeah, I, I think that changing one life, even if that takes you weeks, months, years to do that, that is, that is worth it because I think a lot of people just give in and just say it's too hard to do that. So they don't even attempt. And, um, I really believe that even, yeah, changing one life is worth the the effort. Yeah, I agree with you. I I like to think that um, by just acting the way we want to act and by being true to ourselves, we also have the ability to affect a lot of people's lives, maybe on a seemingly minor level, but in ways that we we will never know about because it's it's not anything we ever get feedback on. So I think it's really important to... uh, to act according to your own moral compass and never deviate from that. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Oh man, I I couldn't agree more. Like I, I just, I really, I really believe, I guess. Okay. So with that thought, first of all, if, if someone does do something that really truly has a positive impact in your life, tell them, like make sure you tell them, don't just take that and then leave and and go forth. (laughs) Like tell that person what that meant to them. Because a lot of the time, if they don't get that feedback, 
that could be that could be the last time they ever share that message or act that way because they don't think it's effective. And so I think that there's got to be this constant, um, I guess, you know, uh, energy exchange between people. If, if they have a positive impact on you, tell them, and that's going to actually be the fuel for their fire to keep doing what they do. Um, and, and so when I, if someone, you know, reaches out to me and says like this message has really hit home and this is how it's changed the way that I live or this is now how I approach each day. Like that's literally why I keep doing a lot of the things I do because I don't get paid for them and they take me a lot of time and there's moments where, you know, friends will be surfing or they'll be at a party and I'll have committed to some kind of project where I can't go and do that. And I think about it sometimes I'm like, man, am I really making the right decision by doing this? Like it, it, it gets really tough when you're pursuing, um, you know, I guess what I like to call a passion project. But then when you get that response from one person, it changes everything. Like it makes it worth it. And so I think that that's really important to, um, you know, I always make sure I reach out to people and let them know that I value their work and their voice and, and their effort. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you just spoke about uh, delayed gratification. Um, how do you justify to yourself not going for that swell that's coming in or that party you really want to go to? Like what kind of mental process do you go through when that happens? Oh man, it's the hardest process. I'll be honest. Like it, it's, it's the hardest process. And I guess two of the big things that I've, I've learned that come with that is I guess what is my inspiration and driving force is that I know it means something to me on, if I'm working hard on something and it means something to me on a really deep level, I have the belief that that's going to have a positive impact on someone else. And, and that one email or message or call or whatever it is that I hope to receive from someone at some point that says that that really struck a chord with me, that's what I'm working towards. And I don't know if I'm going to get that. And that's the crazy thing about it. Like it's, there's a risk that it might not resonate with anyone, but I think that when it means something to you on such a deep level, it's going to do the same for someone else. Surely like there's 7 billion people in the world. It's, it's going to connect with someone else. And, and, and that's, you know, coming back to that point of when they reach out and, and make that effort, that's what makes it all worth it. And that's what makes the sacrifice worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then I guess with that being said, when I work really hard on a project and um, if it is a success in, in whatever respect and people go, oh, you're so lucky you get to do that. And I'm like, no, I, I've, I've definitely acknowledged that I've, I'm, feel extremely privileged and I've been born um, into a very privileged country and, and, you know, family to be able to live in a first world country um, and the opportunities that I get, but it's all hard work. Like anyone can go and do what I'm doing. I'm not any different to anyone else. Like if other people are willing to sacrifice that swell, if other people are willing to not go to that party or to just chase a paycheck and they're willing to put true, honest effort into an idea they believe in, you know, they can do it. They can do it like I've done it. And that's not luck. That's, that's hard work and belief and, and, uh, 
you know, staying true to your values. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You've actually just inspired me to start uh, uh, letting people know when they positively in- impact me because it's not something I do naturally, right? So if I get anything from this conversation, that's that's that for now. Awesome, man. Epic. I love that. That makes me so happy. And I'm not saying that to be nice. I really mean it. <laughs> I want to go back or go, not go back, but go talk uh, talk about your career as a filmmaker. And um, I'd like you to speak to how you've become a filmmaker. In high school, I made films with friends, just really silly films. Like we were, we were inspired at the time by uh, movies like Jackass. So you can imagine the quality and the content <laughs> we were creating, like pretty bad, but also a great way to find yourself as a teenager. Um, yeah. But straight out of school, I I was meant to go to university and I deferred for a year and said, I'm going to go travel. And um, my friend came up with this idea to go to every single state of America and invited me on the trip. And I said, yeah, well, if we're going to go to every state, let's do something kind of crazy in every state and we'll be the first people to have ever done that. And our common passion was surfing. So we set ourselves the challenge to surf in every American state, which obviously leads to the question, like you actually can't surf in every state, like 30 something of them are landlocked, uh, to which our response was, depends on your definition of surfing. So long as we're, <laughs> board, you know, so long as we're on a surfboard with momentum, that's surfing a board, right? So mm-hmm. we decided to go and do that trip and I was 18 years old. And because I'd been making films for years leading up to that, you know, I invested all my money and I worked four jobs and I bought a good camera and paid for this trip. And we went and did that. And I was 18 and um, the trip took about seven months and we filmed it and we turned it into a one hour documentary called Surfing 50 States. Now we're like my friend, his name's Jono and we'd never done anything like this before, but we put it out there and we premiered it and then it started getting accepted into film festivals and then all of a sudden it got an award and then it got picked up on TV and we kind of had this moment where we looked at each other and thought we can actually do this for a living like people do this and so that was the start of my film career it was completely naive in terms of like the technical quality of the film it is just so embarrassing to watch like I cringe watching it and it's like <laughs> full-on Justin Bieber mop haircut, which is just a disgusting, disgusting choice that I made at that age. But the beautiful thing about that film is it's so authentic. Like it's so naive and I look back at it and I've never been able to create something as genuine as that film because we're just two young guys traveling around learning about the world around us. And I think that's what resonates with an audience in that film. And so that kind of set me on my way. And then I, that led me down to Mexico where I made a documentary and then that led me to India where I made a TV series. And I just worked really hard and I lived really cheap. And for the first probably five or six years, I just came up with ideas and found a way to go and do them. And then that led to commercial directing, which I've done for the last five years. And I've, been able to, um, you know, not live off cheap 
rice and beans. I'm, I can live like a normal normal human now, commercially directing. But I I use, I guess, the lessons that I learn on on set, and I use the the funds that I'm paid to create other projects. Um, and I'm always always have my own passion projects on the go, or else I'd I'd go crazy if I didn't. So did you end up going to university? No, no, I never did. And, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think in Australia, there's a different culture here. You don't need to go to university to, to make a career, um, work. Whereas it feels like in America, particularly people are quite blown away by the fact that I haven't been to university and I, I do what I do. Um, because it seems like that piece of paper or that qualification is uh yeah really highly regarded there whereas here in australia i think if you've got the right attitude and you're willing to work hard you can you can make a lot of careers work yeah i can see that and and i i will attest to that the uh the uh prized degree is definitely something um people give a lot of value and i would say too much value but that's just my opinion so all those travels that uh, you've done right after school and that kind of kickstarted your uh, your filmmaker career, how much um, have they influenced you in your personal life and your work? My travels around the world uh, since I finished school, I've been fortunate enough to probably get to maybe 30 different countries and, and work in probably 20 different countries making films. And my dad always told me travel stories growing up. He, he's been to, you know, Afghanistan and Guatemala and lived in California and lived in India. Like he, he's traveled so much of the world and he always would refer to it as the university of life. And I've always held <laughs> to that because he he just believes in in the the lessons that you can learn on the road and what that does for teaching you about just how the world works and and the reality that a lot of people face and i think that that um you know being able to travel to developing countries and and see the way that people live but the happiness that they have um you know, despite not having all these Western possessions that we find ourselves, you know, racing after, you just, you really are constantly reminded of, of what's important. And I think that's why I'm always so fascinated to, to travel and to always travel to a new country. That's what gets me more excited than anything, going and exploring a new culture and um, picking up little life lessons along the way and and just traveling consciously and listening um, more than I talk. So when I was in America when I was 18, I remember being in Boston and we met this lovely Jewish family and they invited us in for Hanukkah. And um, the, the dad, his name was Papa Greenberg, and he said to me, the best thing that you can ever do traveling is to have dinner with a local family because that's a true uh, you know, reflection of culture and more than going to, you know, a, a statue of Liberty or a golden gate bridge. If you can go and have dinner with a local family, that's, that's, that's traveling right there. 
And I loved that. And so I've always held on to that. I've been more fascinated with meeting locals and learning about their world through their eyes rather than just going and getting a, a, a nice Instagram picture. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think you can learn a lot from local customs by actually talking to people. And what you said resonated with me. I'd like to listen more than I talk. It's a, it's something I try to practice myself. It's it's really hard, but it's uh, it's very enlightening as well. Um, so of all the places you've traveled to, is there one that stands out as a favorite? I'd say my favorite countries are either the ones that have had the deepest impact on me as a, I guess, becoming an adult and, and made me who I am, or the countries where I feel like I'm the furthest from home, where I feel like I'm on another planet. So places like maybe India or Namibia in Africa, um, that's where I really feel like I've I've just completely stepped into another world. Uh, mm. And then probably a country like Mexico is is my favorite um, because of my experience there. I've, I've been to Mexico five times and every time I've gone to an orphanage down there in Tapachula, which is right near the border of Guatemala in the state of Chiapas. And mm-hmm. I first went there when I was 21 and uh, I went there to volunteer and ended up making a film about the orphanage and the story there and toured that film around America and Australia to raise money to um, send the kids, some of the kids that were graduating high school to send them to university. And so for me, like that's my second family down there. And I, I feel at home when I'm in um, Tapachula, Mexico. And, and so a, a, a place like that will never get old to me. And I'll go back there at the drop of a hat because it means so much to me and um, has such a, a deep place in my heart. And then, yeah, like I said, traveling to any country where I just feel like I'm on another planet is exciting. And I think probably ignites that same feeling you get when you're a kid and everything is exciting. Like you're constantly exploring the world and, and it's constantly throwing things at you. And um, when I'm in a really foreign land, I, I think that it, it sparks that and I love that. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch gears a little bit and get um, onto the, uh, uh, I guess what I would call your life's work, at least up, up until now. You're responsible for a, an arts festival called We're All Going to Die. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So uh, to anyone listening, don't panic. It sounds really morbid, but it's this super positive arts festival uh, that's called We're All Gonna Die. And I guess we're uh, a collective community of artists who have come together to create works around themes of fear and death. And we've done that because we're trying to shift the role that fear plays in our life. And when I say fear, I don't mean, um, you know, the fear of sharks or spiders. I mean, those deeper fears that we might not even identify as fear, like the, what other people think of us, you know, and with judgment um, or the fear of failing if we were to speak up and share our idea or the fear of being embarrassed for, you know, being who we really are. And so those fears at, at one point in my life actually crippled me and, and that led me to creating this project because 
I wanted to use art to shift the role that fear plays in our life and, and to empower people to, to fear less and live more um, because we're all going to die someday. So why not? So can you elaborate a little bit on um, what inspired you to create that festival and that community of artists? Uh, about three and a half years ago, I went through a, a pretty deep spell of anxiety and it was it basically came down to I didn't know what the next chapter of my life looked like. And at the time, I thought I was the only one because you look around and it seems like everyone has their shit figured out besides you, um, especially when you're on something like Instagram. And so because I didn't know where my life was heading, I just wanted the answers and it seemed like everyone else had them. And so I would question them in my head like, you know, how can I live this kind of like fail-proof life? And every time I would just spiral into this crazy feeling of anxiety and um, it kind of got so bad where I couldn't even make a simple decision because I was so afraid of making the wrong one and just failing. And this fear of the unknown just crippled me. Um, but someone gave me the advice to write. And so one day I did, I, I sat down on this cliff overlooking the ocean in Sydney and I wrote this poem and the first five words that came out were, we're all going to die. And I guess finally I had my guarantee. You know, I, I finally found one thing that I couldn't deny. And, um, and I, I soon learned that that was the only guarantee in life that someday we're all going to die. Everything else is a total mystery. And as much as you can try to control everything, you just can't. It's just impossible. And, and so I guess over time I, I held on to this message and I learned that the beauty of life actually comes from, you know, the mystery of it and not knowing what the next chapter looks like. You can either dance with that and celebrate it or you can let it completely control you. And so that message was really um, profound to me and I kept it to myself. And then one day I was talking to a friend about anxiety and I shared the poem with him. And he said, you need to share this with the world. And initially I was like, no way, like people will think it's stupid. And it was just totally this fear of, um, you know, being judged and, and people thinking it was just dumb. But then I actually sat with it and thought, yeah, this message actually has changed my life and maybe that could change someone else's. And, and so I decided to turn it into uh, a, a short film because I'm a, director and that led to getting a publishing deal to turn it into an illustrated picture book. And then because I was on this role, I figured I'm going to quit my job and turn this message of fear less, live more, we're all going to die into a multimedia art festival in Sydney. And we did that in November last year and we had over 1,250 people come through the, the opening night of the festival and it got amazing reviews and, and People kind of said they've never experienced anything like that. And um, it was profound. And that for a festival about death, everyone seemed pretty damn happy, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any plans for the, the future of the festival? Yeah. So in 2017, I basically, like I said, I quit my job to work on this project and I believed in the message, but I didn't know if it would resonate with others. And, and 
So I used the entire year building up to this festival to put it on to see if it did work and, and used it as the prototype to, to, I guess, inform me whether or not this has legs and I could continue doing it. And if it did, I wanted to take this around the world. And based on the response that it, that it had, that's the plan now. I, I plan to just keep on working away at this festival and, and working with different artists wherever we go um, to get this message out there because I've seen firsthand the, the impact that it has and it's, it's beautiful. And, and more people need to interact with art like this that is all-inclusive, there's nothing pretentious about it, um, and it's actually about something real and relevant to every single person in mm -hmm. the world. And so, yeah, we've taken a small bite-sized chunk of the festival to New Zealand, and I recently spoke about it in America, and now we're talking uh, about bringing the festival to the States in 2019, which is super exciting. Do you know the location? Uh, yes, the location at the moment, I can't, I can't reveal too much, but, um, it'll be somewhere in Texas, which is, um, yeah, a very, a very, very cool part of Texas, but that pretty much means Austin. We all know that, but that's okay. You can't, you can't <laughs> talk about it. Um, I actually can't wait to announce it because it might not mean Austin. That's what exactly <laughs> more than anything. Yeah, I can I can think of a couple other places, but there's no point in trying to guess. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, what was the biggest risk you've ever taken? But I'm going to turn that into, is this festival the biggest risk you've ever taken? I'd say yes. I'd say in terms of the sacrifices that I had to make, um, career and lifestyle um, and financial like sacrifices I had to make, it would be the biggest risk because it's easy to look back at it and romanticize over the, the journey and be like, oh, my God, I, I went all in and it paid off. But at the time, like every day I felt like giving up on this project because it just seemed like all the odds were against me. Um, mm -hmm. like, like So six weeks out from the festival in Sydney – because we were just a team of volunteers working on this, no one was getting paid. I was putting all my own money into it. Six weeks out, we hadn't even launched our Kickstarter campaign. We hadn't even launched the festival, so no one knew it was happening. So we hadn't sold a ticket, and we had 62 likes on our Facebook page. <laughs> like, like, do you know what I mean? Like the algorithms and, and just everything was against us. And I remember yep. being at that point and just being like, what the hell am I doing? Like I've just bitten off what bitten off way more than I can chew. This is crazy. Like I could just, I could just throw in the town now and no one will ever know. Um, mm -hmm. but by that stage I'd already signed up about 50 different artists cr to create work for it. And I had about a volunteer crew of like 50 people working on it. Like there was over a hundred people working away at this vision. And so I, I just had to keep going as much as I wanted to, to give up some days. And we launched the Kickstarter and we ended up raising all the money and then we ended up selling out the festival. And, and since then, last year, I, I got nominated for an award here in Australia for um, like one of the most groundbreaking new businesses of the year. 
But the funniest mm-hmm. thing is like I lost a ton of money on this festival, but I was still considered a success. Like that's what I love about this is like completely shifting what success looks like. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, making money. It may like, I think these days it can be, um, I guess seen as having a, a positive social impact, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Well, and everybody has a different definition of success, right? So I think, and you can tell me if you agree with that, but if it matches your definition of success, you can call it a success. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And and I think that it's important to um, to talk about that because a lot of people have only grown up knowing success is, it only looks this one way. And if you're not doing that, you're failing at life. And I think it's really important to let people know that that's not the case at all. Yeah, as I, as I get older and, uh, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore, I realize that if my definition of success is somebody else's, then I, I'm bullshitting myself. Um, so it's hard to do. Like, it's really something you have to work hard at. But I think as you get older and get more experienced, um, it's something that comes a little more naturally and, and uh, the confidence that comes with age also helps with, um, making decision and more importantly, trusting your guts, trusting your gut is really hard to do because sometimes it goes against everything we think is right. But in my experience, at least for the most part, it's, it's, it's always right because it's what's right for you. A hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Um, so what inspires you? And, and when I ask this question, I mean, very broadly, like not necessarily strictly in your work, but in life, uh, in general, what are the things that inspire you, inspire you the most? I think the things that inspire me the most are seeing people pursue a path in life that is honest to them and who they are and even if they are afraid, just going for it, um, but particularly when it's part of a, a bigger picture, when it's not for their own personal you know, financial gain or career gain or whatever it is, I think seeing people who want to use their talents, whatever they look like, to leave this world better than they found it, that inspires me more than anything. And um, they're the kind of people I want to be around. Mm-hmm. So I I think I, I personally know the answer to that question, but I'd like you to answer it uh, in your own words. What is the role of creativity in your work and your life? To inspire change to inspire positive social change in the world through creativity and, and through humor and through color and through everyone having a good time. I think there's a lot of art out there that is quite serious and, I, and there's a place for that and I can really appreciate, appreciate it and get around it. But for me, because I, I just love the way that a, a child views the world um, I want that to shine through my work and that means having fun with my crew and, and whoever I work with. 
So having a fun process and, and yeah, using, using our skills and our passion to leave the world better than we found it. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a very no, noble cause. Um, do you have any mentors? Probably my dad. My, I can, yeah, my dad would be my biggest mentor. He, he just, he's never doubted me for one second and um, he's only ever, yeah, believed and supported me. So, um, yeah, I think, I think he'd be my biggest mentor for sure. Mm. Unexpected answer, but very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Most people will tend to pick like more, I guess, aspirational characters or famous people. So it's really interesting to see how you answer that question. Um, speaking of film and uh, and what you do uh, professionally, do you have any particular influences and, and artists that you admire? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, probably my my favorite film director is a, a New Zealand film director named Taika Waititi. Um, mm-hmm. He's made films such as Boy and Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows. And he recently directed Thor, which is like a big Marvel film. But I really like his, um, his New Zealand films that he's made. Uh, because he has this great balance of comedy with social commentary and then really um, making you laugh on the surface and enjoy, you know, be entertained, but deep down make you feel something and make you question the way things are and do they need to be that way. And I think that, um, yeah, they've, they've got heart, but they've also got, laughs and I, I i think that that resonates with me so much so yeah he's uh he's definitely probably the the director i look up to the most all right uh, so we've touched uh, a few questions ago on the biggest risk you've ever taken and that was the uh we're all going to die festival um what has been your biggest failure to date it's really funny. I, I, I nearly I feel guilty actually describing some things as failures because I did them with, with other people. And so I nearly feel like I could really offend someone by saying that I thought it was a failure because they could. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't have to answer the question if you don't want to, but I think it's uh, it would be very interesting to hear. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that um, – Probably my biggest failure is because I've been, I've never been trained in what I do. I've gone about things quite naive, I guess. And uh, sometimes that naivety means you get ripped off or you put in way more work and you undervalue yourself. And it's only once you start to talk to other people and you realize, your actual worth, you are, 
you, yeah, you come to the realization that you were completely ripping yourself off for so many years. Um, and so maybe it's not one particular project or decision I've made where I felt like I, I failed. Um, but I think in general, just times either where I have just been too naive or other times where, um, I have probably been a little bit, um, distracted by just wanting to create something for the wrong reasons. And then I'm looking at it and I've just realized like, that's not me and that's not my voice and that doesn't matter to me. And that doesn't actually, you know, make this world a better place. I just made that because I thought it was going to be cool and people would like it. And I think that when I put a lot of time and effort and wrote people into doing something like that, and then I step back and look at it and realize that it was for the wrong reasons, I think that's when I feel like I've really failed. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what would be the lessons you've, you've learned from that? I think before rushing into something, really asking yourself, like, why is this important to you? And once you answer that why, ask why again and ask why three or four times and see if it really breaks down to the core of, of like who you are and what you stand for in this world. And if you can't get that deep, if you just kind of just, you know, making up answers, you'll be able to tell if you're really honest with yourself. So I think that when I now go into a project, say like we're all going to die, I had so much conviction that I, I believed in this message, um, that, that was what kept me going. And, and that's why I can feel proud of what I and, and the amazing team I had around me created mm-hmm. um, because I answered that why. And I knew that it was, I knew that it was important and I knew that someone out there is, is going to resonate with this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a beautiful lesson too. Um, so we're getting towards the end of the interview. I have a couple more questions for you. They're going to be a little more uh, lighthearted. Yeah, cool. um, uh, what's the legacy uh, you'd like to le- leave? And I'd like you to picture yourself, um, say, at the end of your life on your deathbed and you've lived your life however that looks like, what would be the things you would like to leave behind in that context? I think I would like to leave behind art that can live on. Um, I would like to feel that I've jam-packed my life and squeezed out every single experience and moment and connection that I could, that I haven't just coasted through life, but I've, I've, I've lived it as much as I possibly could have. Um, and I don't know, I guess probably more than anything, I just would love to see, um, you know, that message of, of fear less, live more carried out by other people and to, and to feel like maybe I, I had something to do with that, to, 
to see that other people have felt empowered to truly be themselves. Um, and if I've played some kind of role in that, that's, that's uh, worth everything to me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's a very, uh, that's a beautiful legacy. I, I, I hope you can get there uh, when it's time. <laughs> me too, man. Um, I'm trying to do the, uh, the second thing, which is live as much life as I can. I, I, I have this tendency to just go nonstop and then I'll just like be running off adrenaline and then I'll just crash and burn and my girlfriend will roll her eyes and she'll be like, again, really? And uh, yeah, it's, you know. I think it's about balance as well. Yeah, so maybe that uh, that means uh, listening to your girlfriend a little more. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, the the final question, um, and you can answer it however you want. But Stones or Beatles? Beatles. I grew up with the Beatles. Sergeant Pepper's. Um, it's still probably like the best record cover ever made. I can look at that thing for hours. Um, yeah. So that's a very interesting answer. Why, um, why does that cover speak to you this much? I think because of, I like, obviously I love color, but beyond that, I just love to be able to spend a lot of time and, and to look at something and to to just look at every single character and, and thing going on and, and think about like who they are and where they came from and um, any kind of art that really captures and champions like you know multiculturalism or just a lot of the world within it. I love that because. I don't know, there's probably something that has a very together or, you know, connected feel about it. And, um, you know, without getting too deep, you, you look at the news every day and, and people are just trying to, you know, tear the world apart. And so when you see any kind of art that's bringing people together, I think that there's, um, yeah, something beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't watch the news anymore. It's too too fucking <laughs> depressing. Um, yeah. Well, Stefan, it's been a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this interview. I think uh, a lot of our listeners will as well. So I want to thank you for taking the time. And uh, I look forward to see what you come up with in the future. Yeah, I can't wait to bring We're All Gonna Die Festival to Canada. Let's do this thing. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I'm so keen. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Hey again, Arno here. If you liked this interview, be sure to give us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode was produced by Revelator Studio, edited by Terry Martindell, with music by Bounce Trio. To be notified of upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at revelator underscore TO or sign up for our newsletter on our website at rvltr.studio. Keep on supporting creativity and never stop kicking fear in the nuts. Till next time, ciao.